Hello, welcome to the Dear Nikki podcast, where I'm going to be giving you personalized user research advice based on your questions or struggles. So let's dive into today's episode. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode. I hope you're having a great day or evening or morning. Who knows? I hope you're having a great time, whatever time it is, whatever day it is that you're listening to this. I hope it is just fantastic. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to the holidays. So I am going to be taking a bit of a break. If I see a question, another question pop in before we leave, I might try and answer it and schedule it for during the break so that you have something to listen to if you want something to listen to. But we will be super disconnecting. I even potentially thought about not bringing my laptop to my parents, but they don't really have laptops or computers at their house. My mom has this super old computer that's a PC, so I don't even know how to work it. And also I have a lot of writing to do and how would I play World of Warcraft without my without my computer? And yes, In dire times, I do play World of Warcraft on a laptop. I know if there are any WoW players out there, you might be cringing because it's not ideal. So make sure if you see me, if you see me online, run away and I'm in your dungeon because I'm going to do horribly on a laptop. I, World of Warcraft, the thing is I've been playing, gosh, I've been playing since I was like 16. (laughs) That's a really long time. I am admitting this uh, live to the world. I've been playing since I was about 16 and I am so bad at this game. I don't, I have never put so much time and effort into something and continued to just be absolutely horrible at the game. And like, the thing is I go through spurts, so I'm not, I I can't always play. I wish I could always play. I played a lot more when I was younger. Maybe I was better back then. But I don't, I I can't play that much. So I can never be that person who has the right gear and like practices and like all of these things that you can get that make you better. I'm never that person. So I go in with my limited armor and just, which I think is still good for where I'm at. And then I just get like killed by everything. It's just, it's a bit sad sometimes. But hey, you know what? It's fine. (laughs) It happens. I will probably continue playing for another, gosh, who knows how many years and still dealing with the same things. But anyways, we're not here to talk about World of Warcraft. We're also not here to talk about my excitement for the holidays. But we are going to talk about something exciting, freelancing as a user researcher. So I had a question come in via email from somebody asking how to transition or get into freelancing as a user researcher. Now, I have freelanced in the past as a researcher. It's very interesting stuff. I would say that whenever I went to freelance, so there's there's always this, but I'm going to I'm going to talk through it really quickly. There was a bit of a the grass is always greener vibe for me. So, I was working full-time and I was seeing people who were in freelance and they were like at Starbucks and doing work at Starbucks and they were, you know, doing grocery shopping on Wednesdays at like 11 a.m. when there weren't many people in Trader Joe's and they were, you know, just 
doing their stuff when they wanted to do their stuff, right? Because I mean, of course, if you get a project and, and you have specific hours that you need to work on that project, let's say with different team members or, or what whatnot, then of course, you're not going to Starbucks or Trader Joe's at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday. But a lot of times, you know, your your schedule is flexible. So you are able to do some fun stuff outside of outside of the the times when other people who have full-time jobs are doing that stuff. So there was a bit of of grass is always greener and and starry-eyed nature behind my move to freelance, but I also wanted to just try it because I I truly believe like obviously have the right reasons behind it, but I do believe that trying out freelancing as a user researcher is a super great way to get a bunch of different experience in a bunch of different environments really quickly. And also it really works on your stakeholder management skills, your workshop facilitation skills. So you really target some of those soft skills when it comes to user research and and that particular area of, of your career and skill set. I would also say it made me better at confrontation, confrontation with a lowercase c because like confrontation with an uppercase c is to me like really negative. So a negative experience where you're yelling at people. But what I mean by confrontation is, you know, having difficult conversations. So negotiation type conversations, pricing type conversations, when something goes wrong types of conversations. So really thinking about, you know, those skill sets that we don't get as often when we're sat in full-time, like standard full-time roles. You still get, of course, you get soft skills, you get workshop facilitation, you get stakeholder management, you do get negotiation and, and confrontation kind of training and opportunities. But with freelance, you're kind of forced into it, I would say more often. So I always do say that people should try freelance. If you're, of course, if you're able to, and if you're interested, if you're just saying freelance isn't for me, I don't care about this, you know, skip the episode. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> That's totally fine. It doesn't have to be for you if you know that it's not. Agency life was never for me. Everybody said, try agencies. And I just never liked working in that style. So I just said no, and I've never worked in an agency. So if you ever ask me questions about that, I will just say, I can't, I literally have no idea right? I can't answer those questions. So if freelancing isn't for you, of course, uh, skip ahead. And, and that's, that's totally great that you, that you know that about yourself. But if you, if you are considering it, then it, it is something that's super cool. And I, I flip-flopped between freelance and full-time several times. So again, grass is always greener. I was like, oh, a full salary sounds good again. And I went back to full-time and then I freelanced again. And then I went back to full-time and now I'm doing whatever this is called. <laughs> running my own business. <laughs> I'm, I'm a CEO, right? So, <laughs> oh dear, that's scary. So what I would say is if you are interested in transitioning into freelance, there are some steps that I would really, really recommend because this person had asked about proposals and creating offers that businesses would pay for essentially and pricing models. So those are some of the things that I am going to cover within the scope of this episode. But I, I I would start with thinking about what is your goal when when you're thinking about becoming a freelancer. So why do you want to go into freelance? What are you what are you looking for that you're not currently getting, right? So what what are those what are those whys that you have? 
just so that you're really clear on, is this the right move for me? Because the first time that I moved into freelance, I, I was much more on the like, grass is always greener. This looks like such a nice lifestyle. <laughs> I can just travel, but that's not actually the case. I, I was, I, it was a much more shallow reason than like, what I said before of getting all this different type of experience, understanding different perspectives, being challenged in these areas that as an introvert, I'm not as good as, as a people pleaser, I'm not as as good at. I, I hate confrontation. I hate negotiation. I hate when things go wrong, right? So really challenging myself and pushing myself out of my comfort zone was the second time that I went into freelance, right? So just really getting comfortable and understanding that why and, and talking to other freelancers who are in this space so that you can almost validate what you're thinking would be the positives, right? Because I definitely did not really think about the negatives. Of course, the biggest negative was like not having a, a paycheck come in, so a salary that I could depend on every month. So that was the biggest negative or, or concern. I wouldn't, Let's not say negative. That was the biggest concern for me. But I just dove in because I was starry-eyed, right? So that that is the first thing is understanding the why. And another thing that I would that I would definitely have you think about is: Are you senior enough in your role? So in ever whatever you're going to be doing, whatever services, and we'll get to services in a little bit. But whatever, generally speaking, you're going to be offering to know what to do in different situations with little or no guidance or mentorship, unless you have a mentor, of course, in which case that's fantastic, good for you. But if you don't have a mentor, if you don't have other people in your space where you can bounce ideas off, are you senior enough to make these decisions? And really, really think about that. Because when it comes to freelance and when it comes to to you, one, pitching yourself and then two, actually actualizing on the services that you said you would provide, if you're confused, if you don't know what to do next, if you don't know what methodology would be best, if you are not kind of living up to their expectations, that can go really poorly for you and for the company. So really making sure, are you senior enough in your role to be super autonomous, to be making these decisions for people, right? Because you are making decisions for this organization that you're freelancing for. You don't really always have somebody to bounce ideas off, right? So really, really questioning that because the first time that I went into freelance, I was not senior enough. I should not have been in freelance at that point in my career. And I know this might be controversial because I know that some people actually start their careers with freelance as researchers and learn along the way. And there's, I'm not saying that there is anything wrong with that. You can be a more junior researcher in that space, as long as you're being really mindful about the projects that you're picking up and making sure that you are not teaching yourself bad habits, right? Making sure that you are not teaching other companies bad habits. We have a lot of things that we are working against as researchers. We have a lot of biases against us. We have a lot of, you know, negativity sometimes about our craft and just making sure that if you aren't super senior, are you doing are you doing the right things, right? Are you doing usability testing correctly or are you just saying that you are, right? So so I and I know that this is hard and I don't want to be harsh and I don't want to, you know, ruin anybody's dreams of being a freelancer because that's not the case. But if you if you aren't super confident or aren't super sure in those skills, and if you're able to navigate some difficult 
situations, then consider getting some sort of mentorship or getting some sort of guidance within the space so that when when things do come up, you have somebody to bounce ideas off and you also have somebody to turn to for a little bit of guidance. Because I, I just know I really, I failed a few companies and I taught myself bad habits and I, I actually got really down on myself and really sad when I first went into freelance, not just because it wasn't like going to Starbucks at 11 a.m., but because I, I started to question my skills more and more. So the imposter syndrome that I had worked really hard to minimize had maximized again because I was, I was, I, I just kind of got myself into this like lost floaty feeling of, I'm just not good enough for any of this. Right. So just really thinking about that and really thinking about challenging yourself. It's also a lot of work being your own boss, making your own schedule. You have to be fairly driven for this kind of work. You have to be ready to like put in that work. So just making sure that you're, that you're feel, feeling comfortable around there. It's a great challenge, I would say. So that is the pre-work that I would do or some of the pre-work that I had to, that I would, I would recommend doing. There were also other decisions that I had to make and other steps that I had to take that I'll kind of go through now. The first one is sometimes you can do freelance on the side during your full-time job. Of course, check your contract, make sure that's okay to, to get more familiar and get more comfortable with it. That's something that I did for quite some time as well. So I freelanced on the side of my job and then I moved. This was the second time I went into freelance. I did some freelance work on the side of my full-time role. And then I moved into freelance after that when I actually had a few clients. So that's something else you can do. It's not like it has to be black or white, uh, but as always, check, check your contract. So the second thing that I did when I decided that I wanted to go into freelance, and this talks a little bit about the kind of the offers that this, this question of how do I create offers that people will pay for? So rather than looking at it from that point of view, I would look at it from what is the work that I want to do? Because one of the beautiful parts of freelance is that you do get to, generally speaking, pick the type of work that you're going to do. So you get to pick projects. Of course, projects might come at you. That's the that's the dream, right? Projects might come at you. And then you get to say, mm, this is a good fit. This is not a good fit. So really defining the work that you want to be doing. So for in for example, I love generative research. That is my that is my space. I love being in that like problem definition kind of going into the problem space, understanding it, coming out with ideas, going into an ideation workshop, and then it comes to usability testing, and I'm like, meh, this is kind of boring now. <laughs> so my space, and 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 that's also with startups in particular. So I love working on like innovation teams. That's so much fun for me. That's my that's my happy space is innovation teams within startups or small companies. So helping them. So really that 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 is my happy place. So when it comes to or when it came to defining the work that I did the the second time I went into freelance, I really looked for opportunities where people were looking for somebody within that space to come in and help them define problem areas, help them define their users, help them define journey maps, help them define mental models, help them understand the problems that they're trying to solve so that they create products and features and services that actually meet the needs, goals, and pain points of their users, right? So rather than trying to create something that people will buy, 
create something that you want to do because people are more likely to buy from you if you're passionate about what you're doing. So I know somebody who goes into companies and consults for companies who are trying to set up their research practice. Right. So it's like not even it's not even doing research. So it's setting up research practices and setting up best practices within that scope of research with the outcome of hiring a researcher into a space that's already great for them. Right. So setting the company up for success in hiring a researcher. Right. There's also you can also go in and and work with companies who already have researchers and you can go in and say, I'm going to be a support system or I'm going to be leading the team on different projects and showing them best practices. That's something that you can do. There, there are a bunch of things that you can do when it comes to the user research space. So really looking into what you what you like doing because that will be the most sustainable, right? And creating offers based on that and get creative with those offers, right? So Again, I stayed in that in that generative research space the first uh, the second time that I did freelance. But the first time that I did freelance, I had an end-to-end option. So really from from defining the scope of the study all the way to an activation workshop. So that was me. That was my that was my service is really the end-to-end suite of research. I would also come in and help teams who had, generally speaking, no researchers. And what I would do is I would also create templates for them to use and training videos for them to use. So that's another thing that I offered the first time that I went into into freelance. I also offered slices of of these services. So, hey, do you just need me to come in and do some usability testing, right? Do you want me to come in and do some training on usability testing? So there, there are a lot of things that you can do. So it's just about defining that work because that will give you what services you can provide that you are most knowledgeable about. So that is hugely beneficial when you're coming up with what you're going to give people because you, you can find the people who need you, right? rather than just trying to create something that people will buy because it's just to to me it just it just feels better to create something that I'm really passionate about and really good at and can provide so much value in because then when I talk to people they're like oh yeah you are good at this like people can tell so that is what I would recommend when you're coming up with services and offerings Proposals are a bit tough. I It would be a, a bit tough as well for me to <laughs> kind of talk through how I create a proposal, but there are a lot of freelance proposals out there. And essentially what you do within a proposal is include the work that you're going to do. So the most important is, is what you're going to do and the outcome they can expect. So what you're doing and essentially why you're doing it. So what you're doing and how that will translate into an outcome because people are not looking really at the work that you're doing. They're looking for a result, right? They're hiring you for a particular result. So always knowing when you have that conversation with them, what are the transformative results that they want? What are the outcomes that they want from your work? And putting those into the proposal, 
right? So oftentimes when I went in the second time when I was doing freelance, I went in for that generative space. So a lot of my outcomes were, you know, action-driven personas. So actionable personas. And it's not just me creating the personas, but one of the outcomes is activation workshops behind the personas so that the so that is the is the important part. So that the team creates a user-centric and super actionable roadmap based on the personas, right? So that's the that's the transformation that they're looking for. So whenever you say that you're going to do something, including including that so that in that proposal, that's the that's the outcome, right? So I would say the work you're doing, the so that, so that outcome from that work, why you're qualified, and then the cost. So there are a few ways to get paid when it comes to freelancing. Well, there are a bunch of ways, but the ways that I have done in the past and can speak most to are hourly and more fixed or project-based pricing. So an hourly price is essentially an amount that you charge for each hour of work you, you do. You're literally going like, this is the amount of time that it's going to take me and this is the amount of money you're going to you're going to pay me for that time right people are are super common or super familiar with this it's very common people are comfortable with it it's super good for loosely defined projects so i i tend to do a project based rate which i'll talk about in just one second but if i don't know if i can't understand the scope of the project or how long the project is going to take i will tend to use an hourly rate because what i don't want to do is poorly estimate how long something's going to take and then say uh oh <laughs> this is taking a lot longer than i thought right? So if something is very, very undefined, ambiguous, I don't really understand the the scope. I don't really know how to properly estimate it. So if it's something completely new that I'm doing that I haven't really done before, then I will say an hourly rate. Of course, what sucks about the hourly rate is tracking your hours, right? Um, it's based on kind of more, more of an, an estimate, uh, so people people will maybe look at it as an estimate of the amount rather than an actual you know so what what i'm saying is they might debate with you more so they might negotiate your hourly rate a little bit more and what can happen is if you estimate that because everybody asks for estimations if you estimate that it will take you let's say 15 hours and you're like, this is my hourly rate. It will take approximately 15 hours. So it's going to be this much money. Sometimes people get, they will use that as like the actual price tag. And then people get mad when like you have to spend more time and then it costs more money, right? So people can kind of get annoyed by that because with a project-based, you're like trying to bake in everything, right? So an hourly rate is better for kind of not not really knowing the definition and scope of the project versus the more fixed or project-based fee or rate. This is what I like to do more. So you're, you're really focused on the outcome of the project, what's coming 
from the project. You don't have to track your time. You're incentivized to do it quickly because essentially if you, let's say that you say that it will take three weeks to, to complete some work and that is for $8,000 or pounds or euros or whatever. If you finish that work sooner, right? It's kind of great for you. Like if you're able to do it more quickly, your hourly rate within that project goes up, right? So you get done quickly. But the other flip side of that is if the project takes longer and you're putting in extra hours that you didn't anticipate, and then you can't really ask for more money technically because you you kind of defined this this project based rate and it's it's very hard to ask for more money if the project takes longer but it's very comforting to some people so Again, if I understand the scope, if I've done it before, if I know how much work is going to go into it, if I can calculate the hours, I will go for that project-based fee because it's it's quite it's quite nice for me. I, I prefer that because I don't like to track my hours. But if I don't know, then I will really go towards that hourly kind of rate. And how you find out your hourly rate, there's a lot of things that go into that because when you're freelancing, you might not be getting healthcare, you might not be getting like retirement plans or 401ks or pensions or whatever all of those things are, depending on where you are in the world. So you also have to take in that information. So what are the things that like, it's almost the security that you get from a full-time job is being taken away. So you have to add that in to your rate. There are a lot of freelance calculators that exist out there that I would recommend using, especially if you're looking for freelance opportunities within a given location and within a, a certain and you're a certain have a certain number of years of experience. There are freelance calculators out there. Just make sure you take into account things like health insurance, vacation, sick days, um, all, all of the sort of benefits that you get from a full-time role so that you're you're not just saying, oh, this is what you're just like paying me for my time. Like take into consideration all of those other things. And, and I would use, I would go in and use several freelance calculators. I would also try and talk to some freelance user researchers to understand what they are, are pricing for themselves because that's that could be super helpful. And so when you're when you are going to do your hourly rate, then you have that rate there, right? So you have that information and 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 when you're going to do a project kind of rate, you're you're giving you're you're estimating those hours and I would say overestimating the hours that it would take. I always 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 overestimate when it comes to a project-based model because I don't want to be doing more work. Right. So the thing with with a project base is like if you overestimate your hours and you're under your hours, you can always do extra work to meet them. You can always do something extra for your client to help them out. Whereas if you underestimate what your hours should be and you're working overtime and not getting paid for it, you are not going to be happy. So really thinking about uh, when when that project based right is coming out, really thinking about overestimating those hours, but it, it's about it's about understanding first like what what should you be paid, right? In in general, like when it comes to that hourly rate, that's it's it, and I would recommend looking at those freelance calculators. 
And then um, I don't have a lot of time left before this, this app kicks me off, but really being comfortable with negotiation and, and being able to say, you know, this is why I am worth this much. So within that proposal, I talked about why you're qualified to do this work and why you're qualified almost for that price. So being able to list the accomplishments that you have done that match up to the outcome that they're looking for. So for instance, I have created a bunch of personas, but I have not only just created them, I am very, very great at creating personas and then running activation workshops that then lead to roadmaps that have user-centered features, user-centered services, user-centered products on them that then get, get the organization moving their metrics that they care about in a positive way. So what does that mean? Moving retention, increasing retention, increasing revenue, increasing adoption, you know, increasing customer lifetime value, all of those things. So that's why I am qualified to sit in that generative space. I'm great at finding those problems. I'm great at uncovering those unknown unknowns and activating them so that the the teams are left with, with a roadmap that sets the team and the organization up for success, right? So I can list that. I can list concrete examples of that, why I'm qualified for this price and why I'm qualified for this job. So really getting getting that, thinking about the skills and achievements that you have made that help you ground yourself in that price and in that work. And that's why it's important to do work and to define work in a way that is something that you are good at and you feel good at. Right. So doing the work that you you feel passionate about and you feel good at doing. And then last thing, I'm gonna pop this in the show notes, but the book, Never Split the Difference by Chris Foth, has been very helpful for me in terms of negotiation. So if you want to get a little bit more clear on on negotiation, that will be that would be a really helpful book if if that's what you're looking at uh, doing. So I have like 30 seconds. So I hope that this was helpful. If you're interested in freelancing, I, yeah, I hope that this gave you some good information and things to think about and always reach out, submit more questions. Let me know if, uh, how this works for you, or if you have follow-up questions on it. And I look forward to talking to you soon and happy holidays if you're celebrating, but if not, I will see you in 2023. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe and submit your next question. And I look forward to talking to you all soon. Bye.